You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 9, if you would. This is a message that I preached here about two years ago, two and a half years ago. But we have so many people who are part of this church now who were not here two and a half years ago. Two years ago. Miss Ann and I have actually been the pastors here just under two years. Just two years? Where'd that two years go? My goodness. And who's having something on March 15th? There was an announcement. Huh? Oh, it's tonight. Oh, so it's not next week. It's this week. So it's tonight for the marriage Bible. I was, I was wondering, why would you do something on the Ides of March? <laughs> Beware the Ides of March. <laughs> Stay home, lock your doors. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9. All I know how to title this message is a new day. It is a new day. It's been a new day for 2,000 years, but it's a new day that most of Christianity doesn't recognize. They recognize that Jesus loved them. They recognize that Jesus died for them. But they so, most of our, most of our, our brothers and sisters in the world, and I'm not saying they're not Christians, I'm just saying, and, and maybe most of you, I, I spent many years in the bondage of legalism, not understanding the difference between the Old and New Covenants. I kept trying to sprinkle the Old Covenant into the New, not realizing that this was a brand new day, a whole new day. Praise God. Somebody say amen. A whole new day. And notice what it says in verse 1 in Hebrews chapter 9. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary a sanctuary in the world, okay? Meaning that there was one someplace else. But the one that was in the earth was a manifestation, a physical manifestation of what was in heaven. And it later says that very thing. But you have to understand that God's service through worldly means just means that you're worldly. Doesn't mean you're particularly holy. God's service through worldly means just means that you're holy. Paul said that that was carnal, that kind of thinking is carnal thinking. We tend to think of people who are carnal as being wrapped up in all kinds of vices. But Paul said the people who were carnal were the people who were wrapped up in religion. <laughs> he called them carnal. And, and, and here it's kind of saying the same thing. Just as worldly as any, is anything that's man-made. Being religious, a religious legalist just makes you worldly like a person living in adultery. Number two, verse two, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the tabernacle and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now that's the inner court. Now verse three, after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all or the holy of holies. So there were three tiers to this tabernacle. Now I want you to see it. You, we, you can see it right here in this church facility we have here. There was an outer court and inner court called the sanctuary and then there was this Holy of Holies. And this building is laid out somewhat like that. The outer court being the foyer area. The inner court being the sanctuary where all the people could come in to. And then they had this area that was the, the, the Holy of Holies, which was back here behind a curtain. That's where the, that's where the senior pastor went only. <laughs> See, only the senior pastor could go back there. He was called the high priest, though, you know. And the high priest had this, had this role of taking the blood of the sacrifice, the, 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 the one pure sacrifice for the entire, the entire nation. He took into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle it with blood and so forth. So there were, there were three tiers to this tabernacle, much like what we have here. Now we don't call this the Holy of Holies. We sometimes call this our sanctuary. 
and we don't call that the outer court. We call it the foyer, the auditorium, and the platform. But you, you see what we're, what we're talking about here. And this was, this was very, very uh, religious in its, in its, in its forms and its, uh, its uh, means, its rituals. But I don't know about you, but I, I have found times on my way to church that I got so happy in the car that the church service wasn't quite as edifying. Amen. Come on, be honest. Have you been there? Yeah. I, 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 on my way to church with the expectation of me praying in the Holy Ghost and listening to the music and stuff, I, I've been so edified in the, in the car because, because the, this is a new day. You can have this wherever you want it. You don't have to be in some building with a holy of holies. Amen. This building, buildings are of God. Don't, don't misunderstand. Buildings are of God. They, 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 they ring a bell. They ring a bell, so to speak, to the community. We're here. We're worshiping God. Come join us. That's what your building is for. And besides, it's nice to keep the rain off our heads while we're trying to worship the Lord. I mean, nothing wrong with having a good building, soft seats, air conditioning and heating. It's all, it's all good. But this is not the, 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 the house of God per se. Now, we, we dedicated it to the Lord, and we sometimes refer to it as the church or the house of God. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you really understand that the house of God is really the people of God. The, the, the church is, comes from a Greek word, ecclesia, and ecclesia does not mean you know, go, getting ready and going to church. Ecclesia means a people called out specifically called out of their homes to gather together for a purpose, for a purpose to, to have governmental authority in, with, with God and in heaven. Hallelujah. So, so you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, but you're not the church until you come together. So that's why we have a building where we can all come together, come out of our homes and come together. That's what the word ecclesia really means, to come out of your homes. Did you all know this? Nothing wrong with home meetings, nothing wrong with having home meetings, but ecclesia isn't best done at home, it's best done in a public place because that's what the word actually means. So you have to have a public place. Now if we lived in Florida, we could just meet outside, but we don't live in Florida. We ain't even got no ocean here in Oklahoma. <laughs> We've got a river, a few of them. But so there was this tabernacle made. Now this is going somewhere. I want you to see this new day we live in. But there was this tabernacle with the inner court and then the second veil, the Holy of Holies. In verse 4, which had the golden censer. This, this place had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was a golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. The bread, the bud, and the Bible. The bread, the manna, the bud, the Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, meaning the written word, the Bible. The bread, the bud, and the Bible. Now, all this has to do with God speaking. But first it means Jesus, the bread. He was the bread that came down from heaven. And, the, and Aaron's rod identified Aaron's authority as the man of God to do the preaching. Aaron was even the, the spokesman for Moses. If he was the spokesman for Moses, he was the spokesman to the people from God. So it really, these three manifestations of the Word of God talk to us about Jesus, talk to us about the ministry of preaching, and talk to us about the Bible. This is all God trying to communicate to us. It's just all God trying to talk to us. I have something, I have some good news for you today. The Lord wants to speak to you. He is speaking to you. The Lord is speaking to you. He wants communication with you. Most of the time, men don't want to talk to God because they don't know what to say to Him. You felt that way on a regular basis, you guys, if you've been married for 10 minutes. <laughs> that woman knows what to say. And she says things, and she says them in a way. Like, she says things without saying it, you know? You going to wear that? <laughs> now she didn't mean are you going to wear that? She meant you're not leaving this house looking like that and have everybody think I let you have everybody think that I don't care anything about how you look. That's what she really meant. That's what she meant. And that's why men are afraid to talk back cuz they know that little question. 
I was in there getting dressed today, just today, just today. You're a pastor. <laughs> I hear her from the other room. Are you ready? I'm sitting there thinking, if I was ready, I'd be walking out the door. <laughs> I'm trying to get this done. Not yet, dear. But I knew, I knew, are you ready didn't mean are you ready. It meant what's taking you so long? Get your caboose out here, because this train is leaving. That's what it meant. Right? Come on, guys, am I right? <laughs> she said, I'm cruising. Cruising for a bruising. The reason men find difficulty in that is because we really lost the ability to communicate with God when, when Adam fell. When Adam sinned, he, he didn't have anything to say that sounded anything like what he used to say to the Lord. There was a time when God would come walking in the cool of the day and Adam and he had great fellowship. Adam and the Lord had great fellowship. They talked about all kinds of things. But then one day, after Adam had sinned, the Lord came walking in the garden and Adam couldn't think of anything worthwhile to say except, I was afraid. Afraid? Afraid? You know Almighty God face to face and you're afraid? You're in covenant, as it were, with Almighty God and you're afraid? What has happened to you? Have you eaten of that tree? Have you eaten of that tree? That's what God said. Have you eaten of that tree? That's what He asked. Who told you you were naked? That's what Adam had said. I was afraid because I was naked. I've, told, I've explained this to you all why we say naked instead of naked. Because naked sounds more undressed than naked. <laughs> naked is just a little more nakeder than naked. <laughs> you don't even have on socks when you're naked. <laughs> Who told you? I know I'm painting images in your mind. Uh, you know, uh, well, this is what the Bible teaches. Adam was naked. He and his wife, they were naked. He said, I, we were afraid because, I, I was afraid because I was naked. God said, who told you you were naked? The Lord knew exactly that moment that he had never said anything to Adam about something he lacked. God doesn't talk about what you lack. He knew he had to have been having a conversation with somebody other than him. Who told you that? You never heard that from me. You never heard anything about your nakedness from me. Wow. Glory to God. Come on. You, you understand this? You never heard any of that from me. Where'd you get that? I want the preachers of America to hear me. Stop barking at God's people about how sinful they are. You sinful thing. Because if there's ever been a sin in the church, it's the sin of not reminding God's people of who they are. Amen. Who they are. If you want them to rise above sin, you've got to make them know who they are. Know, know who they are. And they will. They will. They will. They will. You know, my kids look like me, especially my firstborn son. He looks like me. He's going to be up here to preach in a few months. He, he looks like me. But I didn't have to train him how to look like me. It was kind of automatic. <laughs> I saw a few little traits on him. I thought, oh, I hope he doesn't get that. Oh, doggone, there's that nose. <laughs> he got it. <laughs> because it was in him to be that way. And I say that the people of God, you have it in you to look like the Almighty Himself in the earth. Because you've been born again of his, of his word, born again of the seed of Almighty God. That means if you were born of his seed, that means his seed is in you, and that means it will produce, and you're going to look like him and act like him and talk like him and be him in the earth. That's why they call us the body of Christ. Not some ghostly image of God, but the body of Christ. His feet, his hands, his whole being in the earth. I'm not saying you're worthy of worship. He's always worthy of the worship. He's still God. But in the earth, you have a mission here. 
And your primary mission is just to please God and to know Him and have fellowship with Him. You see, I believe without those things that were in that golden chest. When that golden chest is what? The mercy seat. That's where they kept these article, articles that spoke of God speaking to men. It was what we lost. What we lost was the ability to talk to God. Adam did not lose the ability. Christian friend of mine, Adam did not lose the ability, nor did you lose the ability, to hear God's voice. Most of the time when somebody tells me that they can't hear God's voice is because they've stopped trying. They've stopped believing they can. They've been told, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to fast, you've got to do all these kinds of things to hear God's voice. No, you don't need all that to hear God's voice. God is speaking to you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they will not follow another. Adam heard God's voice on the day he sinned. Hello. Wishing he couldn't hear that voice. Adam, where are you? Oh, no, I told you, Eve, I told you he'd show up here. <laughs> you know, he looks at her, and she, there she is in all her glory with that piece of fruit and the juice dripping off her elbow. You've got to think, okay, I, I, I feel for you, Adam. You want a bite, baby? You talking to me? Adam, where are you? He didn't want to hear God's voice, but he heard God's voice on the day he sinned. This is powerful. Did Cain, was he, could he hear, hear God's voice? He heard God's voice on the day he killed his brother. Hey, Cain, where's your brother? <laughs> well, they could hear God's voice. God didn't do anything wrong. He could still speak. He could speak to anybody. He spoke to the devil for Pete's sake. The devil can hear his voice. He spoke to the serpent on the day all that happened. And he heard his voice. That's not the problem. The problem of hear is not hearing God's voice. I want to encourage your faith today to let you know that God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you through this preaching. He speaks to you through the Bible. He speaks to you through Jesus. That is the power of the Holy Ghost inside you. Jesus speaks to you through the Spirit inside you. You get it from the preacher. You get it from the Bible. God has provided ways for you to hear His voice. They are, the world is replete. The thing is, men just don't want to hear God's voice anymore. Right. So they make up excuses like they can't. And here's why, what, what gets blocked. Because what Adam really lost was not the ability to hear God's voice, but the ability to talk to God. Oh, I know this is true by, by, by the first thing he said. I was afraid. Cain didn't know how to talk to God. He said, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> you talk to God like that, really? That smart mouth of back, uh, boy. <laughs> and one of my kids, I'm going to teach him how to talk. Right? The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, For we know not how to pray as we ought to. Why? Because this is where it all went wrong. Paul said we know not, do not know how to pray like we should. But the Spirit helps our weakness in this area and prays through us. Proof of this, too, is that when Peter, James, and John came to Jesus, said, Lord, teach us to pray. Are you kidding? Peter, who had never had a piece of bacon in his mouth, had never had a bite of catfish, never done anything like that. This guy was a Jew's Jew. He kept the law, and he and even argued with the Lord when the Lord told him to eat this stuff. No, not so, Lord. I'm, this guy who was a Jew's Jew came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because they knew they didn't know how to pray. Even the Jews, the, the straightest sects, did not know how to pray. Those are the straightest groups of them. Did not know how to pray. Didn't know how to talk to God. Why? Because that's what they lost. That's what we all lost in the garden, how to talk to God. Well, how do we get this back? That's why he's always talking to us. That's why the preaching keeps coming. The teaching keeps coming. The Bible was written. That's why, why the Holy Ghost is inside your life. Amen. Inside your heart. Talking to you to teach you how to speak to God. Listen to me. Your prayer life is so important. Your prayer life is how you release your faith. And if you're spending so much time begging God for things... It's going to paint a picture in your mind that you are a beggar. A subject of a king instead 
of a son of a king. Wow. Sons don't beg their daddies. I beg your pardon, they don't. I've got two of them. They don't beg. They were well-disciplined boys. I'm telling you, they were disciplined. Miss Ann carried a switch to church. People thought it was a radio antenna sticking up out of her purse. But it wasn't. It was a stick to beat them with. We didn't abuse our kids. But you can't prove that by the law. They got, they got spankings. They got, they got regular spankings when they needed them. And it, was, and it was good. We raised three preachers who all loved the Lord. We didn't tell them they were going to hell for disobeying. We didn't dangle them over hell. Here's what I found. My experience, this is just my experience. But I found that those religious people who are extremely legalistic, saying that everybody's going to hell for everything, their kids are the nastiest, worst kids in the school. Every time I say that, I always have people in the audience say, yeah, I know those kids, preacher's kids, preacher's kids. You can ask the, kids, you can ask the people that my, my kids went to school with, they were not the nastiest kids in the school. They were the best kids in the school. Made good grades, had a standard, lived for God. And I taught them about the grace of God all their life. They never once ever thought that Christians went to hell, ever. Ever did they believe that. They don't believe it now. I don't believe Christians go to hell. You might, but you're wrong. <laughs> and the reason why a legalist thinks he's raising kids good by being a legalist, dangling them over hell, is because he puts the responsibility of raising those kids then on that doctrine. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Right. So he doesn't correct them right, won't spank them, won't love them, won't be the kind of father he's supposed to be. He just dangles them over hell thinking he can keep them in line. And it never works. Everybody hear me? Yeah. We told our kids, you're going to heaven whether you like it or not, but I'm going to beat the hell out of you on the way. <laughs> now that worked. That worked. Amen. Glory to God. It's not God's responsibility to raise your children. It's your responsibility to raise your children. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. All right. <laughs> Did I say beat to hell? I shouldn't have said that, should I, Miss Ann? <laughs> it was true. It's in context. Preachers can cuss as long as it's in context. Okay, thank you, Pastor Casey. Verse 4, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold. Now that's, we just read that. The bread, the bud, the Bible, all representing the Word of God. Three manifestations of the Word of God. The Lord Jesus, preaching, and the Bible. Now number 5, verse 5. And over it the cherubim of glory, the cherubims of glory. It shouldn't be an S on that word. Cherubim is the plural of form of cherub. Cherubim of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. We know something about it, but we can't really describe it in detail, he's saying. It's kind of interesting that there are two angels on top of this, this mercy seat. Two angels, not three. And there are three angels that are named in the Old Covenant. Three angels by name in the Bible. In the, in, a couple of them are named in the New Testament as well. You remember who they are? There were three of them that are named. We talk about the millions of angels that there are, but there are only three that are named. Gabriel, Michael, and Lucy. Lucifer. But there's not three angels on top of the box. There's just two. Huh? One of them's not there. He's someplace else. He's not in the presence of God anymore. He's someplace else. He's here with us. Working in the minds and hearts of men. The God of this world, the Bible calls him. Working to deceive men, even though Jesus has already done everything it takes to set, them, set men free. And the only reason they stay bound to the devil is because they've not really heard and understood the gospel, the real gospel. They're still working. And if somebody hears the gospel, something that sounds like the gospel, the devil will pervert it and sprinkle it with legalism so that they believe that it's all on how they perform. 
rather than believing the truth that Christ died for our sins. That settles it. Ladies and gentlemen, that settled That statement all alone, that Christ died for our sins, either that was real payment for your sins and there's nothing left for you to do, or it wasn't. And the gospel means nothing. It's all about how badly you feel about your sins and how much you can repent to prove how bad you feel. You've heard the other message, haven't you? Turn or burn, you filthy sinner. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They, they, and they think they're quoting Jesus. They think they're doing a good thing. They are quoting Jesus. But Jesus never, ever preached that message to Gentiles. And Paul never, ever preached that message to Gentiles. Paul preached this message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. What do I need to believe about Jesus? That he died for your sins and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If you believe on him, you can have everlasting life. And not anything, not anything, not one thing for you to do but believe. Believe to receive. It's a powerful thing. And when you get this in your heart, you realize it's not about your performance. And then all of a sudden, it makes more sense to try and talk to God. If I'm accepted in the Beloved, wait just a minute, I can just walk in. I can just walk in. I looked up the other day, my grandson, my, ten -year -old, my number 10 grandson, how old is he, four? He just turned four. He came to stay the day with, with Nana. And in our little apartment in Dallas that we stay a few days a week in, he was there. His daddy put him down. His daddy went off to work. And I look around. He's going through the closets. I said, what are you doing, Max? He said, I heard there's, there's chocolate in here. <laughs> he didn't ask if he could have some chocolate. <laughs> he didn't ask for chocolate. He just knew, hear me, saints, he just knew if I had chocolate, he had chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. If you're a joint heir with God, joint heir with Christ in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, you are the same as he is as far as your, heir, your, your being an heir is concerned. Then if the Father, if the Father has it, you have it. If God has healing, you have it. Yeah. If He has blessings, you have yeah. it. If He has more than enough, Come you on. have it. If He has, if he has good relationships, he, he, you have it. Whatever God has, you have it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You have a right to it. And you can, all you've got to do is just show up. Well, Lord, you know I've done all I could to please you. Would you oh, God, would you? I've heard so many prayers like that. I feel so sorry for people who, who are like that, who come to God as a beggar than as a child. This unconditional love that he pours out, we never hardly ever approach him as though it's unconditional. We approach him as though it's conditional. It's the feeling that religion has poured into our minds that it, it just can't be this good. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 real quick and put it on the, on the screen if you would. 1 Corinthians 13. In verse 1, I want to show you something. How many of you know what 1 Corinthians 13 without looking at it is? It's about. Anybody know? Love. It's the love chapter. The agape chapter. Agape. And the word charity there in the King James Bible and the word love there in your other Bibles is really the, the Greek word agape. A-G-A-P-E. Lots of Christian churches used to be named agape fellowship and all that. We like this word agape. Okay? Agape. It means unconditional God kind of love, basically. I want you to Bring up that 1 Corinthians 13, 1. And we'll start reading this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Let me, let me tell you what religion has taught us to read here. Religion has taught us to, 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 to see it like this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and do not operate in love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. How many of you thought that's what it was talking about. Do not operate in love. That's what you were taught. That's not what the text says at all. The word have not means to possess not. Oh, it's not talking about an operation. It's talking about what you personally possess. You've got to hear this to be free from religion today. It's a new day. 
And it's never going to be a new day as long as you hold on to your legalistic thinking. Right. Have not means to possess not. Though I have, I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not possessed for myself the love of God. To have, to possess. Now that's a little bit different. He's saying if I don't have God's love for me, not for other people, it never once ever says to love other people. There's no admonition at all in this. It's just knowing I have it for myself. And most of God's people do not know they have it for themselves, so they can't possibly love anybody else. And look how worthless it is to serve God and not know you're loved by God. Because let me tell you something, if you don't know you're loved, you're not loved. It's effectively the same thing. I thought Anne-Marie Lemke hated me. Oh. I did. Until her cousin Harold came and said, who are you taking to the FFA banquet? I said, I don't have a date. <laughs> that doesn't surprise anybody here, I can tell. <laughs> What's new, holler? I don't have a date. He said, ask Ann. I said, no, she hates me. He said, ask her. I said, did she tell you? He said, I'm not telling you nothing. Just ask her. Ann? Ann Lemke? Wow, I got goosebumps all over. I thought she hated me. I never would have approached her. I never even dreamed. Because the main reason I thought she hated me is because she had told me about ten times that she hated me. <laughs> I'm real receptive like that. I'm real perceptive. I mean, uh, I got it figured out. God even talks to me sometimes. <laughs> I didn't realize her feelings had changed. <laughs> so I wasn't loved. Even though she loved me, I wasn't loved until I knew she loved me. And I walked up there. She's standing at her locker. I'll never forget it. I said, uh, you got a date for the banquet? Nope. Wouldn't even look at me. Uh, would you be interested in going with me? I'm waiting for, you know. She said, maybe. Maybe. Well, would you or would you not? Maybe. I'll think about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well, Harold said, Harold said what? Nothing, nothing. We were just talking. <laughs> nothing. We went back and forth like that. Finally, she said, what time? And I told her what time I'd pick her up, you know. And we had a date. That was our first date. Ooh. It was amazing. From that day forward, I've been loved. From that day forward, I've been loved. I was loved before, but I didn't know it, so it did me no good. Did me no good. Did me no good. I thought I was hated. Are you hearing me? That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is trying to tell us. You read the whole thing and put it in its context and stop, using, stop inserting the words into the text. If Unless I operate in love, I'm nothing. But unless I possess love. Agape. agape. You can't operate in my love. I love you dearly. Miss Ann loves you. you. You don't even know how this woman loves you. But you can't operate in Miss Ann's love. You can only operate in your love. Agape is God's kind of love. You can't operate in God's love. Oh. You can operate in phileo. You can operate in eros. You can operate in all kinds of love. But you can't operate in, in, in agape. That's God's love. Only God operates in agape. You can't operate in his love, you, you can't operate in her love. Casey can't operate in my love. I can't operate in his. I can op operate in the love that's in me. Are you hearing me? Agape is God's love. Hallelujah. That's what he's trying to tell us. To know you're loved. To know you're loved. And when you know you're loved, you live like it's a new day. Praise God. Like old things have passed away and behold, everything has become new. Hallelujah. Listen to this new day talk. I just got a few more minutes here to talk to you. Michael and Gabriel, look who's missing from the box. 
And with these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. The priest went always into the, into the uh, tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. The service of God in a carnal way. There are three tabernacles in the Bible. There are three authorized forms of worship. Some of you heard me speak about this, especially if you come on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights we really dig deep into the Bible. But there were, in the, in the Old Covenant, there were just three authorized forms of worship. There was the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David, and the temple of Solomon. The tabernacle of Moses, the, temple, the tabernacle of David, and the temple of Solomon. The tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon were identical, except one of them was a mobile church, and the other one was a stone church, fixed on top of Mount Zion. There was one in between, though, called the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David was also a tent, like the tabernacle of Moses, but it didn't look like it. It didn't have three pieces to it. It didn't have the foyer, the, the auditorium, and the platform. It didn't have the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. It just had one room, one big room with all the articles in it. Everything was in it. And they set the Ark of the Covenant right out in the middle of the room, they said. And all God's people could just come in there and worship right in the presence of that Ark of the Covenant. They called it David's Tabernacle. David's Tabernacle. The whole time from when he went and got the, the ark from Obed-Edom's house and brought it there and set it up in that tent in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. That's how they worshiped God for 40 years. Lifting their hands, everybody came. Everybody came. Persona grata, persona non grata, the big, the little, the, the great, the small, amen. Red and yellow, black and white and brown, every color, every creed, everyone who was Jewish, everyone who was Israeli had been circumcised and kept the law. They could all just come into the very presence of God without any of the legal requirements that it took because there was all these washings in the other. And only certain people could actually be in the presence of, of, of the box, of the ark. But in David's tabernacle, everybody just came in. And you don't hardly hear anything about David's tabernacle after it ended. And when Solomon built the temple, went right back to doing it the same way they always had under, under Moses' law, under Moses' tabernacle. That tabernacle of David, though, you know, I've heard some teaching on it years ago. The tabernacle of David was all about worship. And it was, but it wasn't. It was about worship, but it wasn't about worship as much as it was about who could worship who was allowed into the presence of God for worship's sake. And I got to noticing that it was only mentioned one time in the prophets, in Amos 9-11. Amos 9-11, then it talks about the tabernacle of David being restored and all the Gentiles would come into it. And uh, then you get to Acts chapter 15, the very first council of the church, where they get together to, dis to discuss a most important subject. And the most important subject, the all important subject was this. How is a man made righteous, and how does he keep that righteousness? How is a person made righteous, and how does he keep that righteousness? How many of you think that might just be the most important question anybody could ever ask? That was the one they, 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 they took up in the first council of the church in Acts chapter 15. And it was the one that they said they got established. They said they got it established that a man is made righteous by faith alone. They said it clearly. And then some theologian decided that he was going to cancel all of that and all of Paul's doctrine by one verse in the book of James, which says, faith without works is dead. If I, start, if I had started that verse right here without saying that in, in advance, if I had said, uh, y'all finish this, faith without works is, most everybody here would have said dead. But you haven't read, you haven't read Romans chapter 4. Amen. Romans chapter 4 says, faith without works is righteousness. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> it says it clearly. Well, well, Dr. Holler, it sounded like to me you think, there are, you think there are contradictions in the Bible. No, I don't think there are contradictions in the Bible. I know there are, bozo. <laughs> I know there are. 
oh, this is what he's saying. I can't believe he's saying this. No, 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 no. If you try to apply every word spoken in the Bible to the same people, there are all kinds of contradictions. Because Jesus said he didn't really love you. He called you a dog. He said you, it wasn't even right for you to be healed. Oh, is that word still apply today? No, that word does not apply today. You can take Jesus' words and make it look like nobody's going to get saved unless they've cut off the right hand and plucked up the right eye. Are you hearing me? You've got to know the audience. You've got to know who he's talking to, praise God. There's not one teenage boy going to get into heaven with two hands. I'm telling you that right now. By, by the way, Jesus talked. But he was, he was pointing up the truth that we need him, that we need his grace, we need his mercy to be saved at all. You can't do it by your performance. That's really good. The contradictions come, but the contradictions all go away and they, they cease to exist when you identify the right audience of this letter written. When you identify the right audience of that letter, and basically there are two audiences, Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, faith, is, faith without works is dead to a Jew. Come on, bacon eaters, you're happy about that, aren't you? That, that, that wasn't talking to you. That wasn't talking. I had bacon this morning. I still got it on my breath probably, praise God. You're not made righteous by how you perform or what you eat or what you don't eat or what you, how you dress or how you don't dress. I wish some people would dress better. <laughs> I do. And I wish the Bible said clearly that if you took a drink of whiskey, you were going to hell, but it doesn't say it. Because I got, I got a few people I'd use that verse on, I'll tell you right now. Not, not here. No. <laughs> I heard Jerry Clower say that. His daddy was, he was raised by an alcoholic who was abusive and mean and bad. And he said, I just wish the Bible said clearly <laughs> that you go to hell for drinking whiskey. <laughs> but it just doesn't say it. Because it's not true. It's not in there. But unto the second, verse 7, but unto the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. What that means is that there was a high priest that existed and he took blood and he existed for one reason. The high priest did not exist. And you need to hear me say this. The high priest did not exist. That office does not exist for the errors of the world. The high priest, when he went in and made his sacrifices, it did not save the Canaanites from being slaughtered. It did not forgive their sins. That high priestly ministry of Aaron did not fix anything about the, about the Gentile world. He existed only to deal with the errors of God's people. The people of the covenant. That's the only reason he could help Gentiles none. Right. Everybody hear this? Which means that Jesus is not seated at the right hand of the Father mediating for the sins of the world. He is not. He's not seated at the right hand of the Father, acting as high priest for the world. He died on a cross 2,000 years ago as the Savior of the world for the whole world. But today he sits at the right hand of the Father for saved people. He's there to deal with your errors, friend of mine. That's the only reason there is a high priest. And all this talk about Jesus being a high priest just means that he knew you were going to goof up again. So he went there and sat down at the right hand of the Father to ensure that you get to glory, hallelujah, to make sure you make it, because he knew you couldn't make it on your own. Well, Lord, you know what I've done. Oh, God, you know, you see my, I just wonder what he thinks of those kind of prayers. People have been trained to, to mourn so over, over doing something stupid. I was one of them. I wonder what he thinks of them. I think he thinks, that he hears you bawling and squalling like that and carrying on about how bad you've been. I think he thinks, so did I die for nothing or did I die for you? Did I really die for your sins before you ever committed them? Did I not know that this, this kind of thing was going to happen? Why are you all torn up about it? You're just wasting time. Go win somebody to Jesus. Go, go do something with your life. Get up go give some money away. Holler's preaching. Go give some money away. 
Oh, God. You can't feel bad enough to make your sins go away. You have to believe. The high priest existed for one reason. He was a suffering Savior on a cross for the world. But he's a risen Lord. Glory to God. Seated at the right hand of the Father as our high priest for one person, one purpose to deal with the errors of his own people. And I've got to tell you something. He's not watching you to make sure you don't sin so he can get you for it. He's not, oh, God is watching. Come on, how many, how many of you had that said to you when you were young? God's watching you like, oh, God, help me. This is, God's watching you. He's not watching you to make sure that you don't sin so he can keep you out of heaven. No, no, no. He's alive to oversee and to secure your arrival in heaven. That's what he's watching. He's watching, seeing how he's going to get you there. Amen. Not, not how he's going to keep you out. Take your, take, let's just put this on the screen. Romans 5.10. Romans 5.10. And I'm almost done. Is it almost noon? Wow. Greg, did you set the clock forward? Romans 5.10, look at this. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled. Everybody say much more. Much more. See, we've been taught that it's easy to get in. You get in by grace, but if you, if you stay in, you've got to work for it. But this says, if we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. What that says is it's much easier to stay in than it is to get in. And it couldn't be easier to get in. Right. Amen. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved. Because he is alive. I don't know about you, but what that does for old Holler is it does not make me think, oh, I can't wait to get out of here and go sinning. No, it makes you think, I can't wait to find a place of intimacy with Jesus and just thank him for a little while. Just thank him for a little while. Why don't we just lift our hands and thank him for a little while for this wonderful grace that is ours. This new day. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Just say it with your own mouth. Open your own mouth and offer the fruit of your lips to him. Say, thank you, Lord, for this great salvation. Thank you for this grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We do not worship our own efforts. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness and goodness to us. Thank you for this great salvation that you bought and paid for that we merely believed. I'm going to finish with this. I have a postman friend by the name of Dylan Eaton. <laughs> Dylan is one of our elders here. And I had this thought this week, and I asked him about it last night. I said, Dylan, I, I, I've been in the mail room before and know what it looks like because I used to, used to send out a newsletter and I'd carry those trays in there, you know, and stuff. Get them all in the right sequence, all the zip codes and everything. Just kind of seeing how it works. See the mailman getting ready to go out on the routes and all that. I said, Dylan, is a letter delivered because the mailman took it and put it in his pouch and put it in his truck and took off? Is it delivered? He said, no. I said, when is that, when is that letter delivered? When it arrives. Not just because, see, we tend to think of our deliverance as being delivered from something. But that letter's not delivered until it arrives at its, at its destination. We talk about our deliverance all the time. Oh, God delivered me from, from, from drugs. God delivered me from sex habits. God delivered me from this. God delivered me from all kinds of sin. God delivered me. God delivered me. Well, you're not delivered until you arrive in glory. Because that's your ultimate destination. And Jesus didn't deliver you at all if you don't get there. We can't even call him deliverer. We can't even call him savior, which is what his name means, savior, deliverer. We can't even call him deliverer 
if we if he doesn't get us there. Because you're not delivered until you arrive at your destination. Glory to God. Glory to come on. Somebody ought to say amen to this. This is, this is good. This is what the Bible means when it says you are saved by grace through faith. And then and legalism always says, Wow, sound like sound like you you go light on sin. You then if it's this way we should sin so that grace may abound. Do you know they said the same thing to Paul? I had a preacher say this to me one time. I said, now brother, hang on. You do realize that Paul knew this would be the question you would ask. He said, yeah. And he said, he said God forbid. I said, yeah, he did say God forbid that we should send that grace may abound. That's just silly. But did you notice that Paul knew that people would ask that question if he preached grace like he did? Yeah. But he preached it anyway. And if you're not preaching grace to make people think that you, that's what you mean, that they can just sin like they want to, if you don't preach it that far, you're not preaching it right. right. You're not believing it right. If it doesn't make people think, well, I can just do anything I want. If, it, if that doesn't cross their minds, then you haven't preached it right. Yeah. Amen. That's how Paul preached it. He knew that's what they'd say. It's, only, it's, it's a logical thing from the mind of men. Except for one thing. When you really understand what grace means, it makes you love God. I'm not in love with this girl because we have a marriage license. I could burn that marriage license tomorrow and I'd still be just as committed to her as ever was. I'm not married to her because of a marriage license. I'm married to her because I don't want to lose half of everything I have. No, I'm married to her because... Yeah, I'd lose the best. Now I'm married to her because I love her. That's why we stay together, because we're in love. We're just in love. The marriage license means nothing. It means something, I guess. But it's not what keeps us married. And the stuff doesn't keep us together. It's my love for her and her love for me and knowing she loves me. When I found it out, back when we were teenagers, everything changed. See, knowing that you're loved the way God loves you will make you live right. It will make you live right where all of me barking at you to live right won't make it happen. It will not ever make it happen. But you get it in your heart that you're loved, then it'll happen. It'll happen. You'll see that you don't want to sin. You'll see that you don't have any desires for those filthy habits. It'll start dropping off of you because you know there's somebody that loves you. Somebody that loves you. Somebody that cares about you in every possible way. Amen. I promise to finish this message someday. It's kind of the everlasting gospel, isn't it? This goes on and on.